0: Kevin Pineskis. Hello, Kevin Property Soldier here. The following episode is an excerpt from my book, Service Accommodation Success, that is now available on Audible. Hope you enjoy. Section 4 Acquisition Guesthouse BNB Conversion. One of the most exciting acquisition strategies right now in SA is developing an existing guest house or B&B into what can be referred to as an apart hotel or self-catering hotel among other descriptions. For this section, I will just use the term guest house and apart hotel to avoid being too repetitive this area of SA is gaining momentum since there is an opportunity to significantly increase the earning capacity of the existing business. More and more, people are choosing to stay in self-catering apartments rather than hotels these days, so why not convert a guest house into studio apartments or rooms? Refurbishment Conversion is made easier if the existing rooms are already en suite and if it is possible to insert a small kitchenette into the room to make it a studio. Once a small kitchenette has been inserted into the room, it is no longer necessary to provide breakfast or, with some guest houses, lunch and dinner. After all, if your guest has deliberately chosen to book a self catering studio apartment room, they will not expect to be fed. If all the guest accommodation in the building is studios, then there is no longer a need for the large kitchen, dining room, sitting room and in many cases extensive owner accommodation. This creates an opportunity to convert this space into more studios. We look for the ability to increase the available guest accommodation by 50%. Ideally, when doing a conversion like this, you would be able to completely refurbish the whole property, which will create several benefits. The property will be a much nicer place to stay in for the guests, which will significantly increase the night rate people are willing to pay. Once upgraded, the property will be able to cope with the extra hot water, gas and electric demand the property will be future-proofed and require a lot less ongoing maintenance, which is disruptive and causes problems for guests and operators alike, which in turn is expensive for the operator. The property can be better soundproofed and made energy efficient, which saves money and makes for a happier guest. Up-to-date technology can be introduced into the studio, such as high-speed Wi-Fi and convenient plug sockets and phone charging ports. Regarding the en-suites, My advice is to steer away from macerating or Saniflo-type toilets because these types of toilets are easily blocked by guests who are sometimes not sensible in terms of what they attempt to flush. A macerating toilet will churn up the waste before it moves into the soil pipe. The soil pipe is a lot smaller than a normal toilet soil pipe, which is why macerating toilets are used because often there is not enough space or an adequate run for a normal soil pipe to be used. Sometimes too much tissue or wet wipes will block or damage a macerating toilet, never mind things that should never be flushed down a toilet that unfortunately some guests will inevitably do. If the property already uses these types of toilet, you should seriously consider putting normal toilets in. Sometimes it is possible to create the space necessary to run the soil pipe out by dropping the ceiling below the room in question. As with all renovations of this type, the alteration should be done in strict compliance with building regulations. To ensure regulations are adhered to, you can either use the building control surveyor who works for your local council, or you can appoint a private surveyor. Most council surveyors are good and okay to work with, but sometimes it's easier to work with a private one. You could get some advice on this from other property developers in your area who will have experience of the council surveyors and might be able to recommend a private one, especially for larger projects. Finance. The economies of scale with this model are significant in that you can have, for example, 15 studios all in one building, not scattered all over the city. The uplift in value of the property will then be significant. Commercial property like this can be valued on its earnings before interest, tax, depreciation and amortisation or EBITDA position. In layman's terms, it's commercially valued as a business and not just the bricks and mortar value of the property. Once a lender is happy with an established higher turnover and profit of the business as demonstrated by its published accounts, the lender will lend proportionately against the uplift in business value. This can create a situation where the property developer can get a significant proportion of his or her investment back out of the deal while still retaining a high cash flowing property business. The projections on our current guest house conversion will pull all our purchase and refurbishment costs out of the deal upon refinancing. This represents a massive opportunity to use investors' funds to finance this type of project because it is possible to recycle most, if not all, their funds on refinance. Alternatively, investors' money could be left securely in the property so the investor could continue to enjoy a very good rate of return on their money. Ideally, the property will already have C1 use class and not need a change of use planning application you will need to consult with your local planning authority on the refurbishment to ensure that both planning and building control are happy with the alterations to the property. I find it beneficial to use an architect who is used to working with the local builders, town planners and building control surveyors. The architect can advise you on how to maximise the space available and work with your builder and possibly a quantity surveyor to estimate the materials, time and labour costs, which together will form the build cost of the project. The build cost calculation will be necessary to give to a prospective lender or bank if you require development finance for the project. You should be aware that when purchasing such a business, it is relatively straightforward for a surveyor to value the property in its existing state as an operating guest house. A survey will always be necessary when buying with bank finance, but you should also always get a survey done even if you are buying for cash, as with any property purchase. Otherwise, you may find significant issues with the property that are only discovered after the purchase. The problem surveyors do find with this type of development is projecting what the property's value will be post-refurb and once trading, because most have no experience with this type of project. This can hold up your initial bank funds if the surveyor is insisting that your projected figures are wrong. We are currently providing evidence of the capital uplift on a different guest house conversion in order to convince the surveyor that our projections are realistic. Down valuations by surveyors are a pain for all property developers and it is simply a hurdle that needs to be overcome. Once you can show a lender and their appointed surveyor the new trading figures for the business when you are established, you will be able to raise funds more easily because you have evidence. Planning use class. You will also find that many properties being used as a guest house still have the C3 use class. In most instances, it is the case that grandfather rights or pre-existing use rights or lawful development rights have been granted by the local authority to allow the business to continue operating instead of insisting on a change of use in order to continue. This is usually because it is the case that the property has been operating as a business for 10 years plus and the local authorities have taken the pragmatic approach to allow them to continue even though permission was not actually granted when the owners actually changed the material use of the property. In order to lawfully operate, the owner and or operator would still need to be compliant with building regulations and fire safety law and have a licence to provide things such as food and alcohol to guests. If you are acquiring a property, remember this might be using a lease option in order to purchase at a later date, you should ensure that the local authority issue a lawful development certificate. You will need your conveyancing solicitor to arrange with the seller solicitor to apply for the certificate on behalf of the seller if the certificate has not already been obtained. I strongly advise that you use a conveyancing solicitor who is experienced in this field because a regular one who mainly deals in C3 property will not have the necessary knowledge to represent you properly. This is likely to cost more in legal fees, but in my opinion, it's money well spent and not an area where you should look to save money. If you find a guest house of sale which is still in the C3 use class, you should be very careful that you do not assume that 10 years have passed and therefore a certificate of lawful use can be obtained. We viewed a guest house recently that was on the market for sale as a business but the owners had only converted it into a business about two years earlier without any permission. The property was non-compliant with fire and building regulations and didn't have fire doors on the bedrooms. Tax Regarding capital allowances, it's very important to get a capital allowance survey done in advance of exchange of contracts on the property, or at least ensure that the contract clearly states that the capital allowances are being transferred to you. The capital allowance surveyor can provide you with a 198 election, which the seller needs to agree on to effectively gift you the capital allowances that you are acquiring on purchase of the property. You should ensure that your capital allowance surveyor, property accountant, and conveyancing solicitor are all on the same page here, otherwise, you might lose a significant amount of capital allowances, which could cause you to pay too much tax on your annual profits when running the business. You will find that the seller's accountant and solicitor often do not understand this level of detail associated with capital allowances, and they will need to be reassured that in most instances it has no bearing on the seller's future tax position, but it will simply help you with your future tax liability. If the seller was going to continue to run a different guest house then they might not be willing to allow you to claim the capital allowances because they would potentially be able to offset them against future income from their new business. In most cases, however, the seller will not be continuing in that particular trade and once reassured will be happy to allow you to claim the capital allowances that they didn't. How to identify a deal You can find guest houses for sale with commercial property agents as well as online sites like Rightmove Commercial. Most properties for sale will not have a for sale sign up because potential guests can be put off from booking because of it. I find that even though a property is not officially for sale, the owners would be willing to sell if they were made a respectable offer. I once knocked on four guesthouse doors and told the owners that I was looking to buy a guesthouse in the area and asked them if they knew anyone willing to sell. I was invited in and viewed all four, even in the owner's accommodation. Many of these owners would like to sell if they could, but they find themselves in a difficult situation. Some owners operate their business in such a way that they stay below the VAT threshold, which is currently £85,000 of turnover per annum or even not declare all their income to HMRC, even though the actual turnover of the business is much higher. Unfortunately, in both cases, the commercial value of the property or business is suppressed because a business is valued largely on its turnover and profit. For someone to buy the property with a commercial loan, which is usually the case, the lender, with the help of a commercial surveyor, will use the declared accounts to arrive at the property's value. A lender will usually have a maximum loan to value, or LTV, that they will permit, and currently that threshold for most lenders is 70% LTV. However, the lender will only lend 70% of the value if the declared turnover and profit of the business will support the monthly payments to service the loan. This is called the debt service coverage ratio. Insufficient headroom in the debt service coverage ratio causes many sales to fall through because people cannot raise the necessary funds to meet the agreed purchase price. Often a seller will have a loan to clear on the property upon the sale, but also they usually need a certain sum of money from the sale to buy their next property to live in. Remember, most guest house owners live in the property and so they need a significant sum of money to fund the purchase of their next home. Often these people are at retirement age and so will struggle to get a residential mortgage due to their age, especially if they are no longer going to be working and earning an income. The catch-22 situation is that they have to sell above a certain price to be able to move on with their lives, but most buyers can't meet that purchase price due to the commercial value of the business they are selling. To top it all off, many other potential buyers who would like to buy the property to live in solely as a primary residence usually cannot do so with a residential mortgage because of the C1 use class and their intended use of the property. These circumstances have created a situation where many guest house owners cannot find a buyer at the right price. Buyers either have to be cash buyers and not need a mortgage or they need a significant deposit due to the bank's LTV figure. As with any property purchase, a cash buyer is always in a strong position to negotiate a good price, especially if the seller is motivated to move on and doesn't need too high a sum to clear any debt or charge against the property or to buy their next home. These circumstances could make the possibility of a lease option very favorable and can be a very cost effective way of funding the deal. I have learnt over the years that timing is key to creating the best financial outcome when using this method of acquisition and subsequent purchase. Since a commercial property is valued on its EBITDA, you will only be able to fully realise its commercial value once you have been trading at maximum potential for the required number of years a commercial lender needs to see to give it this value. This may be once two years of trading accounts have been provided. You can get paid advice in advance from a commercial surveyor on what an apart hotel might be worth based on some projected figures to ensure the deal will be profitable and you can refinance and withdraw your investment ready for the next deal. Due Diligence We use a specific apart hotel deal analyzer in order to create the projection for a surveyor and it requires all the costs of running such a business to be entered which is vital for you and the surveyor to be able to arrive at the projected value. You will need to provide supporting evidence to validate your projections such as night and occupancy rates achievable as well as running costs. A lot of experience and knowledge has gone into creating our Apart Hotel Deal Analyzer, but at the end of the day, it is still a spreadsheet, and if you put rubbish in, you will get rubbish out. And so if you are even considering doing this type of deal, you should definitely invest in some appropriate training and guidance. This form of property investing can be very profitable if done right, but by not investing in the right education, if done wrong, it can prove to be a very expensive one. Let's say you want to turn a 10 bed guest house into 15 studios and you project 70% occupancy of each room at the night rate that the studio apartments achieve as SA in the area. Once you have done your due diligence on what the property is likely to be worth when refurbished and trading, you can work backwards or reverse engineer using the analyzer to give you the necessary offer or purchase price that will make the deal stack. I often say to people attending my training courses that you offer what the deal analyzer tells you to offer and you buy the houses when the answer to your offer is yes. It is possible to get a property commercially valued before you buy it at the agreed option price and I recommend that you do not tell the surveyor if asked what your agreed purchase price is. If asked, just say that you are still in negotiation with the vendor. Yes, it is a little white lie, but unfortunately, there's no polite way of saying to a valuer that you just want him or her to simply do their job and value the property based on what it's worth and not be distracted by what you would be buying the property for, which will be a lot less than its current commercial value. How to do the deal The first time I did this was a real game changer for me as a property investor and made it possible to make a lot of money in property, but to make it work, you must do things in a certain order. It is important that you tell the lender that you intend to use this valuation report to apply for a loan with them after you have initially purchased the property at the option price. It is critically important that you use a commercial surveyor who is on the recognised panel for the lender that you intend to use for your ongoing loan. The bank will give you the list and ask you to choose one from it. Your broker should be able to point you in the direction of a suitable lender who has the necessary mortgage product that you will need at a competitive interest rate. You don't always need a broker to work with commercial banks but unless you have a lot of experience in this area, it's probably best to use a broker who might earn his or her fee by finding you a better or cheaper mortgage product than you could yourself. Another important step is to ask the lender for a decision in principle or DIP for a loan based on the current trading accounts you provide and the survey report. If the bank gives you a DIP, Then they will have credit checked you or your company or buying entity and it should be relatively straightforward to go from DIP to actual loan. A successful DIP will give you the confidence to proceed and to exercise your option to buy the property at that stage. If you don't get a DIP, it could be due to an issue that simply needs to be rectified but may take weeks or months to do. You should allow for this potential extra time needed when negotiating the option period from the outset. You definitely don't want to be in the position of your option period expiring when you have spent a significant amount of time and money refurbishing the property and making it worth a lot more, but now the owner can legally pull out or wants to renegotiate the deal. Once you have the DIP, as well as the RICS or Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors Valuation Report, these are now very valuable documents you possess for several reasons. You can use them to raise the finance necessary to exercise your option to buy the property. Let's say you had the right to buy the property for 400,000 and you intend to spend 200,000 to refurbish and create the extra studios. Because you have refurbished the property and significantly increased the turnover and profit, it now values at 1 million as per the RICS valuation report. It will now be relatively easy to raise the 400,000 required to fund the purchase. This money can be borrowed on a short-term loan from a private investor or investors known as angel investors because you can show them the RICS valuation report that shows it is valued at 1 million. You explain to the angel investor that the exit strategy for giving the money back with interest is the bank loan that will raise circa 700000 on the property, i.e. 70% loan-to-value. You can also show the DIP to further reassure the angel that it is a relatively safe investment they are making. You will only need the money for a short period of time because as soon as you complete on the purchase, you should go straight to loan application with the bank who already gave you the DIP and already have the valuation report to support the loan. Even though you have already overcome the main significant time delay hurdles, you should still be prepared for the bank to be slow in handling the full loan application to get the money into your account which has taken up to six weeks for me in the past. The reason you need to allow for this is the fact that you will be paying interest on the angel investor's money for this duration, which may be at a high rate depending on what you negotiate. Costs such as these need to be entered into the deal analyzer, especially if you hope to get all of your money out of the deal with bank finance. However, Based on 700,000 going into your bank account, there should be more than enough money to pay the investors back all their money plus interest. If you borrowed the 200,000 to do the refurbishment, you should be able to pay those funds back plus interest too. Ultimately, you will be left with £300,000 worth of equity in the property, based on the current trading figures and a high cash flowing business. All this can be done using none of your own money, so effectively a hotel for nothing. All that was needed was the right knowledge and education. I need to make the point here that I didn't wake up one morning knowing how to do property deals like this. I have combined years of experience of different property strategies with going on property education courses. I repeat, people often say that property investment training is expensive but I know that ignorance is expensive. Ray McLennan, Dalkeith Apart Hotel. This is a testimonial from Ray. The county hotel in Dalkeith, Edinburgh South, had traded as a hotel for over 100 years. It was a three-storey building at 14,000 square feet with 36 bedrooms and a function suite accommodating some 300 people. The ground floor had a large public bar area, a reception area and a 50-cover restaurant where hotel guests would be served breakfast and dinner. It had been put on the market in October 2015 for £899,950 and a year later it still had not sold. The reasons for this was it required substantial renovation as it had not been upgraded since the late 80s and 90s and was a bit tired. The marketing agents were trying to sell it as a hotel in the traditional sense of the word. Having had the benefit of attending property courses and in particular learning about serviced accommodation, I had a bit of experience of SA in the Edinburgh market and in particular learning about serviced accommodation, I had a bit of experience of SA in the Edinburgh market in particular identifying what would and would not work. Our original plan with SA had been to purchase top-floor tenement apartments in central Edinburgh and create additional rooms in the attic space, then rent out the now four- or five-bedroom apartments as SA or even as a house in multiple occupation, or HMO. In addition, we would future-proof the apartments by adding in pre-wired, top-of-the-range smoke detectors and fire sprinklers. Edinburgh is a great university city and a huge tourist destination, especially during the summer and even more so with the Edinburgh International Festival held every August when accommodation prices spike to double or even treble normal rates. These could be purchased for £180,000 to £220,000 renovated for £80,000 and would have an immediate capital value of circa £350,000 but could generate a 10% to 12% yield plus a capital growth. Renting as a buy-to-let could only generate a 5% yield, so this was a better option. The plan was to create 10 of these top-floor SA apartments across Edinburgh where demand was second only to London for accommodation. However, two major changes in legislation were on the horizon. On a national level, there was Section 24 and on a local level, a total change in how Edinburgh Council would approach SA. One of my contractors had a brother in the local council and he strongly suggested that I had a serious chat with his brother. I made the call. He informed me that the local council had been inundated with complaints about how SA was operating in Edinburgh and fundamental changes were on the horizon. One thing you ought to know about how we operate is effectively to provide five-star accommodation for three-star people and to future-proof all types of rental property by looking at what legislation might affect how property is rented out and what changes there might be. The planning department brother suggested that I review my SA plans as all future SA premises would have to have their own front door or only whole tenement buildings could be used as SA. In other words, big changes were on the horizon for SA in Edinburgh. That led to a serious rethink of the SA strategy. If we cannot do 10 separate apartments with four rooms in each, Then we would need to see if we could do one building with 40 rooms. Instead of starting off with 280,000 and refinancing, we would now need to consider lease options or a purchase of anywhere from 1 million to 2 million and, depending on the condition of the building, refurbishment costs of a similar amount. The county hotel was still for sale, so instead of speaking to the agents, I approached the vendor directly. Over a cup of tea, he told me that he was the owner of the building and he had rented it out to a tenant company that had three rented hotels in its local portfolio. He went on to say that the tenant was behind in rental payments and that potential buyers for the hotel had been put off by the condition of the building and the tardiness of the tenant. Despite their lease ending soon, they had wanted to renew it so any potential owner could choose to keep the existing tenant or take vacant possession. I originally proposed a joint venture or JV, but the vendor needed money to clear off historic bank loans. We created a financial appraisal for the purchase and conversion. This appraisal was checked out by an independent and a few questions arose. Number one, were there any capital allowances to be claimed? The understanding was that there could be significant capital allowances available and they could make a significant difference to the overall financial performance of the contract. Capital allowances can only be claimed once in a building's lifetime. Number two, if we do what if on the ratios, what will it look like if there's a delay in the conversion time and additional costs? Delays in larger construction projects can be particularly costly if they are not anticipated or accounted for. Building in contingency costs can alleviate any upsets. Number three, SAs are measured in occupancy levels. The local occupancy level was 73%. What if it was only 50% or even 40%? Would the project still be viable? Once all of these contingencies had been covered, It was clear that this project could only work if a lower purchase price was accepted. I proposed a quick sale and offered the vendor £550,000 in an email. It was quickly rejected. I decided to call the vendor and talk directly to him, but this time explained the financial appraisal in detail. The vendor considered it, but again rejected it. We shook hands and parted on good terms. Four months later, the vendor called me up and asked if the offer was still on the table. I asked if the property was still in the same condition and he confirmed that it was, so we potentially had a deal. To cut to the chase, the purchase price was 550000 plus stamp duty and legal costs and development finance of £1.1 was secured from Aldermore Bank. The redevelopment took seven months and 33 SA units were created over three floors, sleeping 65-plus people. The ground floor was rented out as a restaurant, bar and cafe on a 20-year lease at £40,000 per annum. The tenant spent over £200,000, improving the ground floor premises. The RICS valuation showed a GDV, or gross domestic value, of £3.2 million. The first major SA booking for our new apart hotel came in the form of a contractor firm for 60 people for 29 nights at £87,000. Because they could only book for 29 nights in the system, they contacted us directly and hinted that they had a six-month contract to fulfil. The occupancy in the first six months would be 90%, whilst the financial plan showed break-even at 48%. Kevin's Capital Allowance Surveyor produced a claim in the region of £700,000, which meant we won't be paying tax on our profits for at least three years. I would like to thank Kevin for all his advice and help before and during this project to help bring it to fruition. Thank you for listening to the Serviced Accommodation Property Podcast. You can also follow me on social media and YouTube by searching The Property Soldier. Also check out my website www.propertysoldier.co.uk where you can learn even more about property investing and serviced accommodation.